Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Psychoanalysis, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. My name is Roy Barsnes, and I'm host of the channel. Today, I'm interviewing Willow Pearson and Helen Marlowe, authors of The Spiritual Psyche in Psychotherapy, Mysticism, Intersubjectivity, and Psychoanalysis. It was published by Rutledge in 2021. Wilson is Director of Clinical Training and Faculty Member of the Department of Clinical Psychology at Notre Dame de Namur University in de- Belmont, California. Did I say Namur correctly? Oh, good. Uh, she is Associate Professor of the Clinical Psychology Department at the California Institute of Integral Studies. She's a psychologist, psychotherapist, and music therapist and has a private practice in uh, Oakland, California, serving adults and couples. Helen uh, is professor and chair of the Department of Clinical Psychology at Notre Dame de Demur University in Belmont, California. She's a psychologist and psychoanalyst, a member of the C.G. Jung Institute of San Francisco, and maintains a private practice in San Mateo, California. Welcome to the program, Helen and Willow. It's just a delight to have you here. Thank you We're so de- much. Yes. Delighted to be here. Well, it's good to have you. So um, why don't we just start with um, with getting acquainted with you and why the two of you decided to write this book. Why don't you start, Willow? Well, I would say one of the primary catalysts for writing this book together is um, the experience of working with and teaching with Helen. Um, we had the opportunity to do a lecture together. It was actually on dreaming. And I think that through the portal of teaching together, we were really able to express to one another in our scholarship and in our preparation and um, in our uh, lecture, um, our passion for depth-oriented approaches to psychotherapy and psychology. And so that exchange of ideas, I think, seeded the way. And working together um, and being able to steward um, uh, clinicians in training has been a wonderful opportunity to collaborate and think together about what are the core um, uh, aspects of what make uh, uh, depth-oriented um, and integrative-oriented psychotherapist. So those conversations have been a big part of what um, I think created the mix and the sounding board for collaborating on this book. That's my, my part of my sense of it, Helen. What about for you? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, it's not very often that we have in our training programs that can be depth-oriented and also spiritually um, informed and and spirituals integrated in. And so a lot of times you get um, departments and training that that's not as holistic. And so it was a really nice compliment in that way. And that's always been the thread um, at, in the master's program at Notre Dame de Namur University. So um, it was a, a wonderful collaboration in that way where both Willow and I had those twin uh, values and, um, you know, presence or disciplines, as you said earlier, um, in terms of um, your own, your own book. Um, I think there's also been um, a kind of a more of a rapprochement between 
psychoanalysis and spirituality now in these times. And, um, you know, there's been such a misuse of the term evidence-based. And I think that's left something um, that that many of us, um, you know, that ma- many of us are feeling like, um, feeling like it's an inadequate explanation and, um, and being able, how, how do you, how do you explain when, um, certain things that are supposed to be evidence-based don't fit the evidence. And, and so certain things that are harder to quantify and, and measure, I think there's been that, that pull, I think for me around getting this, this book out too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm so grateful for this book, um, as if I believe it fills in some of those empty spaces within the field of psychology, and especially as you talk about evidence-based, and our general lack of attention to the spiritual. Um, I, I, you're probably aware of the Norcross Lambert 30-year um, study for APA, and they recently came out with that uh, evidence-based relational treatments must be taught as frequently as evidence-based treatments. And when I look at your book, the spiritual and the relational are um, not only intersecting, they're, they're like, they're just like uh, symbiotic, right? <laughs> In terms of uh, the development of our own lives and our own spirituality. But why do you think there is this lack in the field of, of psychology where the spiritual is ignored or not, almost ignored? Yeah, we don't talk much about it. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. And because I'm sure that's what motivated you to write this text. <clears throat> Very much so. I mean, I would follow um, up on what Helen said by just um, saying, I think that part of uh, what is most important about being a psychologist or psychotherapist, a clinician, is to be able to be with the unknown and to be able to be present with the unknown as you are discovering together with the patient, with the client, what is emerging, emerging inside of them, emerging between you and the patient, and emerging in the relational field, in the presence that you're experiencing together. And I think that that is one of the most challenging things about our discipline, is that you're on the edge of the known really all the time. And how do you speak to that and how do you engage with that and how do you um, create the conditions to allow for that emergence? I think that's very much what the intersection of mysticism, intersubjectivity, and psychoanalysis is about, as I understand it. And I think that's a big part of um, what the need is and also what the fear is, Mm -hmm. the fear of the unknown. Right. And actually where it is, right? I mean, that's where the work is, is in that that edge of the fear of the unknown, like you just said. Absolutely. I think, you know, to answer your question too, Roy, you know, I think that depth psychologists, psychoanalysts, we, we all feel generally very passionate about that that particular way of being and healing. I think sometimes it can almost take on a quality of a religion, a quality of spirituality, and yet it's um, not necessarily the same thing, and they don't necessarily address it all. So I, I do think that 
you know, because the work we do can often be so profound and so transformative, whether it's, you know, Freudian or Jungian or relational or Lacanian, um, I think there can be a way that it can supplant um, a respect for spirituality as a compatible discipline. Um, you also said something that I thought was really interesting was when we were chatting before we began this interview, and that was around writing your own um, wonderful book, Core Competencies of Relational Psychoanalysis. You mentioned that you know you felt like um, perhaps a part of your spiritual side was maybe diminished a little bit and that you were engrossed in that. And um, one of the things I thought about with your wonderful question was that it feels like, um, you know, and I speak a little bit about this in the book that, you know, it's been so relational psychoanalysis has brought so much um, beauty and connection and healing, but I think there can be a way that um, it can, um, eclipse the spiritual psyche, kind of like maybe what you experienced a little bit in being immersed in that and writing that book. And so, you know, when you have a lot of neuropsychoanalytic and developmental and attachment kind of ideas, relational ideas that have all been wonderful, um, I think it can be, there can be a way that um, there can be a diminishment and an attention to the spiritual. Um, and a term I used in my, one of my chapters was divine relationality. And that idea of the relational component with with divinity, however we experience it. So those are just two things I thought about in addition to the usual culprits of, you know, evidence based and spirituality and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So. You know, that takes me to uh, when I was uh, in seminary, um, there was a big, large movement in me away from the the, the God that was way out there to the God that was present or the mystical that's here, the transcendent is among us. And I remember thinking of, um, I made, I wrote a little paper that said, um, oh, this, um, this hospitality of my parents is actually a Eucharistic event. And I went to this whole idea of Buber that when we meet in the uh, in, in between, in the I thou, therein is the eclipse of the of the transcendent, the unknown. Mm. Um, yeah, that's so beautifully said. Between mm. the I thou is the eclipse of the transcendent. Mm-hmm. That's gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I felt like your book um, was almost all the way through um, saying that, <laughs> and and uh, it it seemed like a very consistent theme. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how uh, psychotherapy tends to want, and I think this is related to this idea of evidence-based. Everything is to alleviate, right? To get rid of, to fix, to have a solution, whereas analytic thought seeks to receive it. And I felt that very powerfully in your in your book. And in doing so, I think you introduced to the reader, and to, you definitely did to me, a bridge to the spiritual. And um, you state actually in your outcomes that um, the, the therapeutic outcomes are this uh, sense of wonder and awe, confusion and chaos, connection and companionship. And I, I'll quote you here, where you say, in these sacred places reside joy and sorrow, courage and fear, fulfillment and yearning, emergence and dissolution, and creation and destruction. Holy Moses, that's nicely said, right? And uh, if 
and so much of our psychologies, I think, have split that and said only joy, only wonder, only, you know, not the other. And you guys, I think, really hit home, at least for me, this this both and. Do you want to comment further on that? Did I get it right? Can you elaborate? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you. I think, you know, for me, there was a, a moment of... Um, uh, recognition and catalytic uh, presence when I read one of our contributing authors, Robin Greenberg, um, in her chapter, she, uh, I'll just paraphrase her, but she essentially said, you know, so often um, we're confused and we think we come into psychotherapy because we want to get rid of suffering. But actually the, the work in psychotherapy is about receiving suffering. And I thought she just put it so uh, beautifully and clearly. And I think that that is the turn from a surface-oriented work to a depth-oriented work, is that turn from wanting to, because of course we all have the pull to want to get rid of suffering. That's just such a human drive. And I think it takes the kind of um, turnings of uh teachings throughout our lives that psychotherapy can help with, which is to turn towards the suffering as its own treasure trove of learning and of wisdom and how to be with that and how to work with that and learn from that. And I think the other thing, I, 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 I think that's really well said, Willow. I think the other thing you said that um, you know, at times as we were uh, writing this book and editing it, we could get a little bit um, lost in it is the both and. And um, the both and can be endless. And, and at some point, sometimes you have to do one or the other, or you will just completely get lost in the cosmos. But, um, <laughs> but the both and, you know, the, 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 the joy and the pain, I think that is something that is different about this kind of approach. And it's like the both and can be, you know, that uh, an experience and analysis or in therapy can be looked at as, you know, a developmental wound and be treated through, you know, a, a corrective experience in, in the work or through, you know, working it within the transference. But that doesn't also foreclose that there can be a spiritual or mystical dimension, a transpersonal dimension that can be equally, um, equally important. So I think that both and speaks to all the different layers, you know, you know, sometimes what might look like very concrete, even a kind of social work intervention with a patient might be actually ministering to their, the deepest part of their soul too. So um, I think that both and was something we we struggled with or, or, or we wanted to flesh out because it can often one or the other can often get lost in some forms of work. Yeah. Where that takes me to is uh, again, the relational part that's so prevalent in your book is the, um, the authenticity that, that, that we try to achieve in a, in a analysis is the idea of there's going to be rupture, right? There's going to be love and there's going to be hate. There's going to be, sorrow and there's going to be joy and um what i hear and what you're saying is that maybe i'm putting my own take on this it seems at times that 
the therapist and the therapy tries to avoid ruptures rather than entering them, receiving mm-hmm. them, and living then in the paradox of um, the both and, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That was very much um, uh, the arc of learning, I think, for me over the last 25 years of doing this work. And I think for me, of coming from, um, you know, I was trained in the transpersonal and humanistic uh, modes of work uh, from a mindfulness space. And then uh, later in the work came to psychoanalysis. And so I think that for me, part of this book is very much about integrating the transpersonal, the humanistic, the mindfulness-based, the spiritual, with the psychoanalytic, and understanding how they combine in my own practice. And for me, that divide that you're talking about, um, the resistance of rupture and repair versus the embrace of rupture and repair as one of the um, necessary foundations of a psychoanalytic psychotherapy has been one of the key turnings for me in my own development as a clinician. And so that's very much why I wanted to write about it in the chapter on reckoning with the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you did well on that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what uh, in writing this book, what kinds of, uh, what happened to your own spiritual life and your own practices as you, um, we're, we're tending to the words of, the, of this book. I think Helen, you said something, you know, that I got so immersed in the, the whole idea of my book that I, I missed something about the spiritual, right. That I had said to you before we met. And yeah. I'm wondering as you were immersed in your, in your book, what, what, what was your practices in your personal life? And how was it being impacted by these um, essays and, and your own interaction with it? That's a really great question. I, in a weird way, they became more, I became more aware and they became both more integrated and more separate, perhaps like more defined, like I could differentiate them a little bit more perhaps. Um, and in the midst of, um, in the midst of writing right, right around when we wrote this book, I, uh, lost my father uh, right at the time, at the time all this was kind of happening and it was a cascade of losses. So it was very, uh, it was a very powerful time for me personally in terms of, um, how that fit with spirituality and psychology and psychoanalysis. So I think, I think there was something about that, 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 it, that dovetailed too. It almost felt synchronistic, you know, in, in, a, in an odd kind of way that I'd be writing this book at this time of, of, you know, the, the book, uh, the book followed that time. So, you know, what I, um, I try to, uh, come to expression about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking in this moment is there was something very transformative about receiving the original work of each of the contributing authors and really caring for it, really stewarding it as a co-editor. 
and really wanting it to um, come into being, to bring it into life, to help midwife that work. And so there was a way in which as it came through my own reading and editing process with that care and stewardship was like um, really a process of almost taking in the voice of the author as if it were my own in order to feel into the depth of what each person was saying and how to try to um, help steward it in the ultimate expression of the book um, in my job as editor. And I felt received in exactly the same way when I shared my own chapters with Helen and with the um, wonderful uh, editors that stewarded the, uh, the book. Um, I felt received in that way of um, where uh, knowing that my voice would really be taken in um, and there's something just very transformative about that. I really come back to my, um, my music therapy uh, self. My uh, practice in music is like uh, that kind of deep listening. It's hard to really paradoxically find words right now to express just how transformative that deep listening really is. And I think I didn't know when I started the project um, the kind of deep listening that editing would require. And I think I found a new uh, listening practice in the process that is akin to but distinct from the uh, space of serving as a clinician. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think has the same healing property. Yeah. Well, as, as I kept reading your book, uh, it, it's something about that deep listening, that relational um, uh, holding that participation with the other that left leads me this question that I'd like for you to play with me on. Um, Cause for my own work over the years, there's been this emphasis on integration, spirituality and psychology, but I'm now wondering if spirituality and psychology are already integrated and that we've just been separating them inadvertently deintegrating them, if you will, um, and what I mean by that is perhaps the sacred is always present. So when you talk about deep listening or we talk about the, the deep encounter with another person, perhaps, again, there is the glimpse of the transcendent, right? There is something beyond us when we are absolutely engaged in the, uh, in the depth of another human soul. And, um, I, and, and Greenberg says this, the creator is hidden in the contraction, or is that contradiction? I'm not sure. I think it. Might, I don't know, uh, but it says contraction in the book, but I, which is invisible and unknowable and yet embedded in everything. So I ask you this question, could it be that in the very act of an in-depth psychoanalysis, therein lies the ineffable? Helen? Well, I, I think, I think, um, I think I would say a qualified yes. Um, and I think I, we played with this a little bit idea about the idea of, um, you know, there is no spiritual psyche and there is only the spiritual psyche. And it's reminding me a little bit of us playing with that idea. Um, so I think both, it's a both and, right? And so I want to say, I want to be able to say yes. And then another part of me says, um, you know, it also depends on how the therapy and the analysis is really held and conducted because I think if the analyst lacks that, if the therapist doesn't have that spirit, then it it there is something that's lost. I 
And I, 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 I thought, you know, Roy, when you asked about how did, how did my work change upon writing it, I would also say that I was always seeing these spiritual dimensions from very early on in my practice as a clinician. And that, that was what my evidence and what was so affirming for me. I realized that more came in the, as a result of me writing this book because my attention, you know, it wasn't like my attention was creating something that wasn't there, but I was attending to and, and cultivating and stewarding something that, that had the presence. So I think, I think to your point, it, there's always that potential, but it may not be realized, I think, um, depending on how integrated that is with, within oneself, you know? So some people, like kind of to your point, see themselves as whole people and healthy people, but not necessarily spiritual or certainly not religious people. Um, and I think there is something missing when we don't have a lens and an awareness of those depths and the transpersonal, um, you know, particularly if someone thinks of their own psychoanalysis or own their own way of therapy is, is a kind of religion, then there can be almost a religious fervor to keeping the frame consistent or, you know, correct interpretation or um, the correct, you know, corrective experience that's done. And all of that might be good technique and be called good analysis. You know, God forbid we do any kind of wild analysis, right, as, as was said many years ago. Um, but it may lack that element of, of spirit. So I can think of times I've made exceptions or done something because it was more informed by that dimension of the spiritual psyche. So I want to say yes, and I want to qualify it. So, <laughs> yeah, I really like that. And, um, and Willow, I want to hear your start with that too, but when you're talking, there was correct, correct, correct that you were using. And I was going, Oh my God. And it reminds me of, uh, if I get to the next book, I, I want to call it the imperfect therapist because it's <laughs> when we're in that there's hope. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Thinking about the importance of that rupture and repair again. Yeah, yeah. That it's in the fragmentation that yeah. there's a movement towards wholeness. Yeah, yeah. And to some, onto the unknown, like you guys talk about in this book, onto mm-hmm. that which we cannot know, and that there's something that feels um, exciting about that rather than fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say, as I read your book, uh, there was a surge of energy that actually rippled through me. I, as I read it, something more than words was getting aroused in me. Something or someone other than me seemed to join me and comfort me at the same time. And that something, someone, some presence, and I, I didn't have explanation for it. So I began to think of this, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. My own spiritual self in reading this book seemed to come alive again. It made me wonder if um, the spiritual self, much like Eros, uh, that the spiritual also sneaks up on us and, and spirits us, if you will, into a different space. And just as Eros just happens and excites and we cannot explain it, maybe this is also true of the spiritual? I don't know. What do you think of that? I've think that that's beautifully said mm. and um, I'm really struck as you say that in the experience of what it's like to resonate with a part of our reality that is revealed in both presence and in mind 
and in embodied uh, words. And so as you speak that experience into existence, I find myself resonating with it. And it feels um, like my experience in the deep listening of the um, editing process, for example, too, very akin to that, which is it opens that space in me that is sort of uh, in wait for that expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your expression gives a kind of openness and a kind of permission and a kind of invitation to that presence in me. I think that's well, I guess all I would just add is, is that I, I'm thinking of that old fashioned term parallel process uh, when it comes to supervision. And um, I felt the same way with, with your questions. Um, and so um, I, I, you know, in that, that enlivening process and, and then seeing where it leads. So I, I, I think that uh, I, I definitely agree with both of you on that. So. I think that I think that when we are speaking and writing authentically, it has a way of touching those parts of the psyche, and that when we're on that that spiritual journey or that journey towards consciousness, then we can be more open to it too, and it can't help but go somewhere inside. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Your response to the questions was um, lovely for me, but it was sort of like we um, found something. Uh, in the between of us that we didn't know, right? <laughs> Until we uh, reacted to one another or had a, a feeling or an experience of the other uh, through each other's um, work, you know, my question simply, but your work. So um, <clears throat> in the book, um, uh, Willow asks Helen, is this teachable? <laughs> which I can imagine everybody listening to this is saying, is it teachable? Um, and so Helen, you get to tell us if this can be taught. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got the answer right here. I okay, know good. it exactly. I got well, the correct it, answer. Correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Right. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I do believe it's teachable. Um, although of course, you know, like, like both of you, my life has been, you know, had of being a, an educator academic as well as a practitioner. But I think there is something about the, 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 to know, you know, one of the things that Jung always said that is that that idea of individuation and that we have the capacity to continue to grow throughout the lifetime through a number of different ways. So I always look at it through that lens of, of individuation. Um, and so, you know, insofar as spirituality is, is also a developmental process is also needless to say a transpersonal and spiritual process. I have some trust in both developmental and spiritual forces being there to to always remain open. Um, so, you know, I think thinking about the idea of individuation and, you know, one of the leanings I've had to young is that it's a progressive psychology that we keep growing, that there's the quality of emergence. There's a quality of, of, of how things like 
associations and relationships and and um, can continue to grow our personality. And that includes in the spiritual world. So I think life will reveal it to us and we may choose to listen or not. Um, and we may choose to access um, and take off that call to be born into something or reborn into something. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things I talked about in my chapter around dissociation is that is that dissociation is a normal human process. Um, you know, Jung originally in his original write, writings spoke about that that is the way that we get new things in. That is the way dissociation is necessary almost for growth and for creativity. And so I think if we choose to stay open to that, then we can listen to that and you know, a synchronicity hits us over the head, a spiritual awakening happens, a spiritual moment happens, the inexplicable is right in front of us. And we can't, you know, we can't deny it. This might be to someone who's an avowed non-spiritual person, for example, they, they may choose then to listen to that and do something with that. So I think that's something I've certainly seen in my own work where I may not be advertising that myself as a therapist, as an analyst, but I'm holding that with my patient. And then these things start happening and they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and many people take up the mantle of, of choosing to develop and integrate that. So, um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of ways that we can choose to, to um, become related to that. And that's, I think, a teachable thing, that process of relating to okay. it. And Willow, you are the one who asked her the question. So how do you feel about her answer? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting what's really present for me in this moment. I've been um, curious about it in conjunction with hearing Helen's responses. I'm very present with um, a moment that I was taught. Um, and that was uh, a moment in talking with the um, late Dr. James Grotstein, I had the great privilege of uh, learning from um, in a few conversations, um, just a few short conversations over the last three or four years of his life. And what really stands out for me in this moment, for whatever reason, is I remember one of our very first conversations, and they were all by phone. I actually never met him in person. I only talked with him over the phone. Um, and he he said to me, and this was when I was uh, a graduate student, and I approached him because I was so thunderstruck by his work and I so dearly wanted to study with him, but he wasn't teaching out in the community at that point in time, um, but he made himself available uh, by phone. And he said, psychoanalysis is, and I'm paraphrasing, but what I remember him saying is something to the effect of psychoanalysis is reinvented and invented anew with each person that comes into contact with it. And what he did in that moment is he made me as a graduate student feel utterly invited to the banquet table of psychoanalysis. And he was saying, bring your thoughts, bring your learning, bring your wonderment, bring your ideas, bring your curiosity, you are fully welcome here. This is part of how psychoanalysis gets uh, uh, 
uh, grows and develops and continues. And so that was a moment that I was taught by Dr. Grotstein about what it meant to be invited into the conversation of psychoanalysis. Um, and it's, it will remain with me for the rest of my life. And uh, I share it when you, when you ask the question that I asked Helen of, is it teachable? Because that was a moment definitely where I learned something from Dr. Grotstein about it being teachable. That's so good. Um, as I hear it, it doesn't have bullet points, right? It has you in it and it has the relationship in it and it's teachable through experience. And so when you brought up Grotstein, even I had my own experience with him uh, where um, I asked him a question one time and he very, cause he had a very rich uh, religious life of his own. Um, and um Whatever I asked him a question, and he said, he he said you you're from a, a, a strict Christian background, I bet, or right? And uh, what he was trying to say there is, you that's the only thing you're bringing to the table. He didn't say this, but basically, the banquet table is abundant, and you're limiting your mind to to one thing, and um, that was a very um, uh, you know, pivotal, mo- pivotal moment for me in my own spiritual development. And I, I'm grateful to you to remind me of that today because mm. I, I didn't know that was part of it all. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Lovely. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, <clears throat> there's a consistent union theme throughout the book. Uh, why do you think that might be the case? And somewhere in the book, uh, Jung sort of indicates that he didn't, want to see his thinking, right? As necessarily a religious piece, or did I miss that? I don't know. But you talk to me about it. Are, um, so what do you make of Jung being kind of the, um, I don't know, he's a very important part. Uh, when we talk about spirituality and psychoanalysis, the Jungian idea always emerges. And so why do you think that is? And are there other analytic authors that are influencing spirituality in psychoanalysis from our past or today? Huh? Um, well, you know, beyond the fact that that's, that's, that I'm, I'm trained through the Young Institute of San Francisco and uh, so forth. I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, Jung is most known I think for being of all the psychoanalysts, the one that's most aligned with spirituality, um, probably lesser known are how relational his earliest ideas were and just how pivotal they were to the Freud Young split. They were actually relational ideas that led to this huge rupture between Freud and Young. Um, and a lot of people aren't really aware of that. And some of it was really around you know, this, this split of that relationship doesn't include spirituality, the split with spirituality. So I think, you know, that, that, like I said, there's been much more of a rapprochement where it used to be, you know, Jung was the wild mystic that, you know, and wasn't, wasn't really real psychoanalysis. Um, I think for a lot of us Jungians, our egos have not been attached to those things. And we're far more attached to the truth of spirit and the truth of soul and the truth of these inexplicable things, uh, this, the spiritual transpersonal level. So we've kind of, I think we've sort of suffered through that 
in a time where psychoanalysis and depth approaches were trying to establish themselves legitimately and so forth. So, you know, I think there's maybe a level of growth and confidence and um, attention to that, that, that way of working that naturally makes it easier to contribute to a book too. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't feel I, I'm, you know, very pluralistic in how I work. I don't feel, you know, wed to one depth approach and um, have a lot of colleagues from a lot of different, you know, schools of psychoanalysis and, you know, other schools of psychotherapy, whether it's CBT or humanistic or systems. But I, it is interesting to me, it's been humbling to see and it's surprising sometimes that what just seems like a given for me in analysis around spirituality or soul some of my other just as talented, equally devoted psychoanalytic colleagues are like, oh, I've never looked at it like that. <laughs> so, you know, there is something interesting about, you know, being steeped in a in a training. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why I trained at the Jung Institute was it was more spacious. You didn't have to apologize or justify or hide this part of yourself that some of my colleagues that are in relational training or Freudian training or other kinds of training are like, oh, that's that's considered taboo. So, so I, I think you know I don't think it's as in the closet anymore, um, um, as it used to be. But I think we've been so used to having to go through that, you know, that being marginalized or seen as less than or seen as ungrounded if 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 you you know um, connect with this. So. Um, that, that said, uh, I think that would be my two cents on yeah. Jung and well, I, I have to uh, also say you bring Jung in this book to us as a relationalist. Uh, so that was really a nice, nice uh, bridge, too. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that other analytic authors besides yourself and Jung, <laughs> and of course there are others. Um, I know my friend Brad Strawn at uh, Fuller Seminary does a lot of uh, integration around this and the Boston uh, program out in uh, the Daniel Institute and places such as that. But, um, and, you know, Lou Aaron uh, really began to pull uh, out uh, the spiritual in us, I felt too, in some of his work. So I know that we're missing a lot and because there's, uh, there's a lot, but I wanted to ask you that question. Do you have, Willow, do you want to add to that? Sure. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, my um, early training, as I referred to, was at Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. And um, that was a wonderful, rich uh, place to celebrate spirit. And um, really, uh, my uh, experience there with the transpersonal and with expressive arts through music therapy um, really brought that forward. But when I came uh, into relational psychoanalysis, it was really James Grotstein's work that opened the door for me um, in a new way to the whole pantheon of the relational lineage and the psychoanalytic lineage. Um, and he helped me access Beyond's work. And so Be Beyond's work has been very important for me, particularly as it's been translated not only and developed and furthered, not only by Grotstein, but also by uh, Dr. Michael Eigen, whose work has been very formative for me in terms of um, 
studying and learning from his work in his books. Um, and, uh, and I would say most recently, um, another uh, theorist, clinician, scholar, practitioner, author, who's brought these ideas forward for me in really helpful ways is Dr. Ofra Eschel. Um, she has her book, The Emergence of Analytic Oneness into the Heart of Psychoanalysis. And she really brings together Beyond and Winnicott in original and um, beautiful ways that have been very instructive for me. And so I love teaching from her work um, because uh, she brings forward an analytic perspective on oneness that is um, very uh, uh, helpful um, in terms of these disciplines or competencies or presences, as we've called them, in relational psychoanalysis. I would, I would say another author, I didn't answer that, but one author that I thought I would just put a plug in that is interesting, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, Dr. Edward Kelly and Dr. Paul Marshall, but they wrote an interesting series. They're, they're not uh, necessarily in the world of psychoanalysis, but they had started um, a series called Irreducible Mind, and um, that was their first book many years ago, and then they had one that came out last year called Beyond Physicalism, and it's toward a reconciliation of science and spirituality. And um, their forthcoming book is going to be Consciousness Unbound, um, Liberating Mind from the Tyranny of Materialism. But I found their their work is very integration. You know, there's a lot of integra- integration and diff- diverse perspectives, and I found it uh, interesting so as not to get tunnel vision in, in one perspective. So. I thought that was an, an interesting recent read I had on this idea of the spiritual. So, what about the two of you? Are you um, what's what's your next writing project? <laughs> well, I'm really excited that uh, a book that I've contributed to. Um, speaking of Dr. Michael Eigen's work, it's called "Healing, Rebirth, and the Work of Michael Eigen." And it's um, co-edited by Ken Fuchsman and Carrie Cohen. And it's coming out um, in just a couple of weeks in March by Routledge. Um, And the book is actually based on uh, a conference from the International Association of Psychohistory that did a conference where uh, Dr. Eigen was one of the keynote presenters. And many uh, practitioners... um, wrote papers that were applying his ideas in original ways. And so this book, this edited book is a collection of those papers of applying and taking further um, and playing with Dr. Eigen's work. Nice. Nice. Um, He's a character, isn't he? (laughs) He's a wonderful character. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, So, before we come to our end, just tell us a bit of the structure of the book and also how you chose this cast of contributors. Hmm. Well, the book itself is composed of uh, taking up theory, taking up clinical vignettes and story and personal exploration of the clinical encounter. And one of the um, uh unique chapters in the book um, is an interview that I do with Helen, where I'm able to really um, ask her about her many years of Jungian psychoanalytic practice. 
and um, the way that she uh, has stewarded that into the world in all her many superhero ways. <laughs> and so that was a fun chapter to do that um, is a little departure from some of the structure of the other chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Helen, well, how did you guys choose these uh, contributors? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of them were colleagues that whose work we, you know, we appreciated or who's, who we appreciated as people. And we really were interested in um, really getting a very diverse, you know, multifaceted kind of perspective. So, you know, not wed to not wed to one orientation, um, whether it's psychoanalytic or spiritual practice. So I think we like the idea of, of trying to find people that were, were um, diverse in that way, you know, pluralistic, both in their, in their approach to depth psychology, as well as spirituality. I think another important piece for all, for both Willow and I, if I could speak for both of us, I think we both liked the notion of um, having active practitioners that also brought scholarship and not, not people writing books that, you know, haven't, who aren't actively steeped in the, in the real day-to-day work of it. Cause I think that that makes a difference, you know? So I think those would be a couple things that came to my mind. And if I can, Roy, maybe I could just read the list of uh, contributing authors. Um, so there are Dr. Robin Begay, Dr. Mitchell Becker, Robin Greenberg, Dr. Shifa Hack, Catherine Olivetti, and Dr. Brian Wittin. And so the six of them joined Helen and I in contributing the uh, different chapters of the book. Yes. And like you said, represented different uh, spiritual um, and, re- and religious ideas and ologies. And, yes. and we're all practicing, which is uh, also a very um, lovely kind of, um, I don't know, it's always better if we're in it rather than just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And maybe just to um, mention particularly some of those spiritual traditions that we draw from, if I may, um, Vajrayana Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, Christianity and Catholicism, ecumenicism and integral spirituality, Judaism and Kabbalah, nonviolence, Sufism and Vedanta are all some of the traditions that our various authors culled from in putting together these chapters. Yeah. It's a really wonderful work. I'm so grateful that you guys uh, got that you got inspired to do this <laughs> because it's a, I think a really important contribution to our, our discussion of, of spirituality for our listeners. Um, <clears throat> is there anything you'd like to uh, leave them with uh, some sort of thought or, well, we'll call it a benediction even <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to this time. I, I suppose, I suppose one thing that comes up just impromptu is um you know, much like we had a parallel process of the questions you asked, and at least for me, the questions, what came up for me with your questions and vice versa, I guess, I guess maybe one way to, to try to be related to and connect to that spirit is to see what emerges for anyone after listening to, to this piece and, and to be curious about that. And is that a, 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 a nod that, 
spirit is having. And so that would be just one thought I have is to watch that enlivening process that may come from, from listening and being in this time together. Um, so I, I guess that would be one, one benediction. That's wonderful, Helen. I, I will do the same uh, upon our, the end of this. I'll see what it, what it continues in me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What about you, Willow? Well, I think just in this moment, as I take up Helen's benediction, the, uh, what occurs to me is to be attentive to spirit's play. Mm-hmm. That it is truly in the playfulness that spirit has uh, the enjoyment of revealing her face, his face, its face, their face. Mm-hmm. So I think being available to that which emerges from within oneself as well as between one and the other. Mm-hmm. That spirit can poke its face out into this material world um, from behind our own face as well as between looking at our, these days, video cameras on screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And to be present for when spirit comes out to play. Uh-huh. And maybe mine to join you in it. I'll just go back to one of the questions I had or had for you is that letting the spiritual sneak up on us and spirit us into a, a different space um, with each other, with ourselves. Um, perhaps I love that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so very good. much so. <clears throat> it has been it's, wonderful. It's funny. Um, it's funny because um, one of the questions I didn't um, didn't follow up on answering to you but I meant to was actually about, you know, it's, it's really not spirit playing when I really think about it concretely, but spirit is playing. So, you know, you asked about book um, books that we're working on our next projects. And um, I didn't get a chance to tell you, I, w- I was going to share with you when you got to that phase that, um, you know, the book that you wrote on core competencies of relational psychoanalysis um it actually um, was something that was very inspiring to me. And there's something that I've been thinking about turning into a book for kind of core ideas about psychoanalysis that have come from my psychoanalytic psychotherapy class at Notre Dame de Namur. So I've taught it for many years and um, it has a very similar structure. And so when I've been thinking about this next project, your book was one of the ones that came to my mind because I'm trying to, distill core ideas um, across the different schools and getting at what are we really talking about in a more jargon-free way. And so um, so that's why I say it's not going to be spiritual play, playing with spirit. It's going to be a lot of work, but, <laughs> but I think spirit is poking his or her head out right here. Of I just think it's funny because your book was one of the few books I've seen that actually tries to distill down what's core. Um, and so I'm trying to that's one one thing I've been wanting to do is to distill some of these core ideas and um, across the different schools of psychoanalysis um, and make it more um, make it more accessible for people that you know psychoanalysis. Oh my God, that's weird, or that's this, or that's or that's too too dense, or what? So try to make it really um, understandable. 
um, without without losing the depth. So anyway, so spirit is playing. So Willow, to your benediction, I think it just manifested. So, <laughs> and I hope when when we are finished here that you will be spirited to go back to your desk immediately and start on that wonderful book that I can hardly wait <laughs> to read. <laughs> That'll be wonderful and, and a major contribution to this kind of conversation. So, here, here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hate to go. It's been really fun to participate and co-create and, and imagine together on this really critical, um, um, I think, part of our lives and in our, in our work. So thank you. Thank you so very much. Yeah. Thank you so much for receiving our work in this way and for allowing us the opportunity to speak with you about it. Yeah, it's been very good. Yeah. We were so touched and honored by your interest and you know, today your generous interview and your presence. And so you, you certainly embody the very book you wrote and um, you know, what a, what a journey that is for any of us as authors. So thank you for, for, for honoring our work in this way. I'm, I'm very touched. So I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's an honorable, honorable work. So thank you so much. You've been listening to an interview with Willow Pearson and Helen Marlowe about their book, the Spiritual Psyche in Psychotherapy, Mysticism, Intersubjectivity, and Psychoanalysis, here at New Books in Psychoanalysis, a channel on the New Books Network. If you have any questions, you can contact me at Dr. Roy Barsness, rbarsness157 at gmail.com to let us know any thoughts and questions. Thank you both very, very much, and um, God bless. Thank you so much, Roy. Thank you. Yeah. All right.